following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. So for the past few weeks, we've been talking about what it takes to make a stronger body. Not, not necessarily a human body, but a body of believers is what we've been focused on most of all. Our, our topic has been spiritual gifts. You know, what is my spiritual gift? How do I implement it? How do I discover it? And when I do find out what it is, how do I put it to good use here in a body of believers or somewhere else, wherever the Lord is calling you to serve at? Could be a bivocational ministry, could be a full-time ministry, could be just simply a layperson uh, within a body of believers. But as we opened up this study, we, we started talking about the purpose of spiritual gifts and how in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said that we are to be equipping the saints to do the work. And we narrowed it down to do two main categories, equipping them for the uh, teaching of the word, God's word but also equipping others for service as well. Uh, we moved on to week two, how spiritual gifts are should be applied. We learned in Romans chapter 12 that uh, we are a living sacrifice. A lot of times we give of our spiritual gifts, not expecting anything in return, but we know that once it goes out, it goes for the benefit of the whole body. And then we looked at, you know, why does God give us spiritual gifts? Why? What is the main goal? And it's all to... Glorify God. We looked at First Peter chapter 4 and how everything that we do, especially in a spiritual sense, here in a congregation, a body of believers, is for God's glory and God's glory alone. And then last week we looked at the diversity of gifts. We looked at how various, how, how, how different the gifts are. First Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're at today. That's where we left off at last week. We started in that. As we looked at how many different members there were, how diverse they were, how diverse the body is and how different it is. But it all comes together to form one unified body. Paul is using the analogy of the human body to relay this message and to show that the body of believers, Christ's body, can be in some ways compared to the human body and the way it responds and functions and works and moves and grows and works together with one another. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you're already there. Uh, If not, go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to look specifically at, at this analogy of the body of Christ and how every member can be related to as a member of a human body. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. A little bit lengthy passage, but I think we need to read the whole thing to get the essence of what Paul is trying to capture here. Beginning in verse 12, he says, For as the body is one, and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many or one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. 
Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And I hope that you underline or underscore that little phrase right there. That's going to be a highlight here in a little while. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, After that, miracles and then gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. For this crystal clear analogy that Paul gives us about the body of Christ, the body of believers, as compared to the human body. Lord, I I can only imagine what it's like to go through life uh, without a leg or a foot or an eye or an ear. But Lord God, as as you relay in this message, as you look, you give us this pattern, as you give us this picture, Lord God, help us to see what it truly takes here in our church, Lord God, to be a stronger body, a more unified body, a body where every believer knows what their gift, what their part is, and that they're doing their best to make the body as strong as possible. We pray, Lord God, that you'll speak to us through uh, this message, through this word. I pray, Lord God, if there's anyone here that is not a member of the body of Christ, I pray that today would be that day that they would step out in faith and come to know you as their Lord and Savior and join what's going on uh, here and everywhere else as you do the work to expand your kingdom. We just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So there's three specific things I want to point out about the body. Uh, be, you can compare it to the human body as well as a body of believers, but the body of believers is specifically that what we're talking about. First of all, I want you to see in verses 12 through 14 that the body is God's masterpiece. The human body itself, mankind, 
is the crown jewel of God's creation. You yourself, you are uniquely created in such a way that God is glorified through your life. You are a unique individual and you were created for a specific purpose. You are a masterpiece in and of yourself. Turn to your neighbor on the right and say, hey, you're a masterpiece. (laughs) Turn to your other neighbor, your neighbor on your left, say, there's no one else quite like you. (laughs) Some of you are saying, thank the Lord for that. (laughs) But there is, as you look at your DNA, as you look at your hand, as you look at your palm, as you look at the lines in your hand and your fingerprints, the color of your eyes, the color of your hair, or the lack of hair thereof, Whatever the case may be, your body itself, there is no... Now, I've, we've been noticing a lot here lately. There, there are other people that remind us of people, but there's something just a little bit different about them where we can distinguish that they're not the same. And as we look across this, this congregation here, it's very, very clear that no one here is created in the same way. We, they made me and they threw away the bowl. And my wife says, hallelujah, thank the Lord. <laughs> But in this world, there is no one else exactly like you. You are a unique creation. And in all body of believers here, this church, there, there's not another church like this one that has the same congregation of people, the same characteristics, the same qualities. It just doesn't function that way. But the body itself is God's masterpiece. God created man in his own image. Then he created the woman. The family was the first institution that we see in Scripture long before the institution of the church was ever created. But here in the New Testament, the church is birthed on the day of Pentecost. Paul is writing to a specific church here, one of the longest letters that he wrote. He had some major issues with the church of Corinth. But I think that we see throughout First and Second Corinthians that he's saying, you are one body. Act like it. Function like it. Here's some things that you're doing wrong. Here's some things that you're doing right. But for you to be a stronger body, here's what I want you to do. Here in the New Testament, the church is birthed and it's likened to a human body. We see that in several different places in the New Testament. So why was the church given? The church was given for, uh, it was the only way for Jesus to ensure That his mission here on this earth, the Great Commission, was carried on long after his death. And the only way for that mission to continue on is through the local church. Turn back with me a few pages to the Gospel of John. It's one of my favorite uh, passages to read when it looks at uh, what we're here for, what we're to accomplish, and what the Lord has allowed us to accomplish. First, uh, The Gospel of John, chapter 14. What are we here for? What did Jesus say he would accomplish through his church? How much are we allowed to do? How much has God empowered us to do? What are we to be doing now to continue on with the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ and fulfilling the Great Commission? Jesus starts, uh, John 14, verse 12. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, 
he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Not necessarily in quality, but in quantity. He's saying you're going to have more of an opportunity to do these works that I started here on this earth. The church I'm giving, I'm giving the church power to continue on the work that I started. Here in his three years of earthly ministry, Jesus said, I was only able to accomplish a little bit during that time, but you're going to be able to do so, so much more because the church is going to go on until I return. He said, not only that, not only the works that I do, you will do also, but greater works than these you will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So, so we as the church, we are his masterpiece. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are continuing on the work that he left here when he died and ascended into heaven. And the body now is one, but it has many, many members, but all the members of that one body. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. It is a beautiful masterpiece created and placed together for a specific purpose with a specific end in mind. What is that mission? What is that goal? What is that end in mind? Go and make disciples. Preach the gospel. Reach the lost. Tell them why I came and tell them that there is a place in heaven for them as well. Spread the word about me in any way that you can, but I'm giving you spiritual gifts. I'm leaving you with the church and I'm leaving you with a goal and a mission in mind to accomplish and also the ability to accomplish it as well. So last week we looked at the first half of this chapter and a closer examination of the entire work of 1st and 2nd Corinthians Paul emphasizes oneness and the unity of the church. And here again in verses 12 through 14, he emphasizes one body. Not many different bodies, but one body with many different members. And in verse 25, he also emphasizes again, I don't know if you picked up on that. But he said that there should be no schism in the body. He said you're to be a unified body, not divided in any way, shape, or form. You're not cut in half. You don't have one member that is cut off from the body trying to exist on its own. But he said that there should be no schism in the body. Other translations use the word division or discord. The, the church is God's masterpiece, and it's created as many parts that are connected together to form one whole body, functioning together a divine masterpiece and not a bunch of smaller parts working individually. Mark Dever in his uh, book, The Deliberate Church, had this to say about it, and I quote, A church is not a Fortune 500 company. It's not simply another nonprofit organization, nor is it a, a social club. In fact, it is a healthy church. A healthy church is unlike any organization that man has ever devised because man didn't devise it. 
Look closely again at verse 24 as well. Paul emphatically states here that it is God who composed the body, not man. And in the original language, the word means to fit together, to combine, to unite. So as we look at the church, as we look at Paul making a comparison or an analogy to that of the human body, understanding that the human body was created by God in God's image, and it is the crown jewel of his masterpiece. And so when Paul brings in this analogy of the human body, he's saying, man, the church is a masterpiece. It's something that man could not have concocted himself. It is something that is assembled by God and God alone for his glory with a specific purpose in mind. And when you think about a masterpiece, whether it be a painting or whatever, somebody has to think, what do I want this to look like? It's not some abstract art that just kind of happens on its own where they sling paint and slurry it all over the place, but it's a masterpiece where someone has taken a scene, a picture. And here the masterpiece that Paul is using is the human body. He said, man, the church is just as beautiful as, as the masterpiece of the human body that God has created. I see a, an eye over here. It's, an, it's in the right place. I see an arm over here. I see a foot doing what it's supposed to do. And he uses that analogy throughout this chapter. Not only is the body a a divine masterpiece, not only is it God's masterpiece, but point number two, the parts of the body function naturally. The parts of the body function naturally. I don't have to tell my stomach, hey, I, I need you to digest the food that I just ate. I don't have to tell my foot, I need you to move out in front of me. When I start walking, it just kind of automatically does. I don't even think about my feet moving when I walk. I think about it when they don't move, <laughs> and that happens sometimes. Sometimes those parts of the body, they, they fall asleep, and we've got to kind of kick them around and wake them up and get things going right. But if I were to drop this, this Bible, my, my body would just automatically react to trying to catch it. And so the body acts naturally to different things. And as we think about that, the parts of the body and them responding to certain situations Here's the question that I want you to think about as we, as we look at this. You say, Brother Tracy, how do I know for sure what my spiritual gift is? How will I know? When, when will that moment be where, where it just automatically clicks and I know, hey, this is what God has created me for. I, I'm a part of the body and here's what part I am. Here's how I'm to function. Let me just say that sometimes just like the parts of your body as they function naturally, It'll happen naturally as well. Let's say we're having a uh, black tie affair here at our church. We're all volunteering to help out. I mean, the place is set. It's phenomenal. We got the food going in the kitchen. We got the table set and all the guests arrive. And let's say this one particular guest sits at the place. The, the, the silverware is out. The plate is out. They start whining. Uh, they start dining. They start drinking. Uh, they start moving around. They start having a good time. They start fellowshipping. Uh, the food is out on the table. Everything is set. They're enjoying their meal. They're enjoying their fellowship. And let's say this one guest all of a sudden knocks her drink over. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I did that. I'm such a klutz. When that happens, 
What is your first response to this? If you're out there serving, if you're helping, if you're in the kitchen, if you're out on the floor, how do you respond to this? Are you the first person that walks up and say, hey, I need you to go get a mop bucket. I need you to bring some rags. I need you to bring another plate. I need you to bring another glass of water. Then more than likely, your gift is the gift of administration. You see a situation take place. You see something happen and you automatically start directing people to get this cleaned up as fast as you can. Perhaps you go to that person and you say, oh, now, 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 it's okay. You know, this could have happened to anybody. It's going to be all right. We're going to have this cleaned up in no time. It's no big deal. This happens all the time. Maybe your gift is the gift of mercy. Maybe you're the one that comes up and says, I knew this was going to happen. Maybe you got the gift of prophecy. <laughs> no, I'm just picking. I, I don't think that's what it's all about. But, but perhaps you do this. Perhaps you come to that person and you say, you know, if you would have taken that glass and you moved it out just a little bit more and had your plate. If you start giving directions to that person on how to prevent that, maybe you have the gift of teaching. But if you're the person that runs back to the kitchen real fast, you, you bring another glass of water, you get everything set back in place. You get that guest back where they need to be. Everything's dried up. Maybe you have the gift of service. It was just your natural instinct that kicked in that brought you to that place to get it back to where it needs to be. What is your initial reaction when you see something take place here? What automatically happens to where you start functioning, you start implementing your gift, your ability to make this situation work and function the way that it should. It's not going to be the same as mine. Because in a situation like this, there's probably one person that could take care of all of those things. But that's not the way it should work. There should be many different people that just work like, like a, a well-oiled machine. Those people that go out and, and do the things that naturally come to them should come together to make this happen, clean up. That's how the body functions. That's how your spiritual gift operates, and that's how you'll know instinctively what happens automatically in a time of need to where my gift kicks in and it fits perfectly. That's how you'll know what your spiritual gift is. The parts of the body act Naturally, they function naturally. Are there any of these gifts that this job could have been accomplished without? Probably so. But the others would have had to work a little bit harder. Let's say the person with the gift of service refused to bring the water out. Somebody would have had to stop the cleanup. Somebody wouldn't be able to console this person. They would have to stop what they were doing, go get more water, bring it out, but he, Yet with all of those parts coming together and functioning naturally, the situation gets taken care of. Let's look at verses 21 and 22, real, real close. A little slower and a little more intentionally. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Now, can you just imagine... For some strange reason, your hand acting on its own, reaching up and plucking your eye out, 
and throwing it down and your foot stomping on it and say, you know what? We're fine without you. That's what Paul is trying to say here. That's exactly what Paul is trying to say here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. How often does your head get up by itself and walk to the kitchen and get something to drink and then come back and reattach itself? It can't do that. It can't move around by itself. It's got to have the legs and the feet. It's got to be connected to the body. The brain has to send signals to the rest of your body to do what it's supposed to do. It just doesn't function when it's detached from the rest of the body. The head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. But verse 22 is what I want you to really, really focus on. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. If you don't have that sentence highlighted or underlined or star by it, I want you to do that. I want you to remember this. Those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. We got to have them. They're indispensable is what Paul is saying. He said we just can't do without those weaker members of the body. Do not under any circumstance tell someone that they're not needed here in a body of believers. Do not tell someone that they can't serve here for whatever the reason may be. Do not under any circumstance tell someone that their spiritual gift has no use here. What I'm seeing here that would be completely contrary to what God's word says. If you were to tell someone that, that would be completely contrary to what Paul is teaching us here. Paul says clearly that the weaker parts of the body aren't just wanted but they are indispensable. Their spiritual gift may not be as useful or sophisticated as yours, but it has a place here in the body of Christ. The parts of the body function naturally. The next thing I want you to see is that the whole body is impacted when one member suffers. The whole body is impacted when one member suffers. Verse 26, Paul says that if one member suffers, notice he doesn't say a greater or a smaller member. Notice he doesn't say a more important or a less important member. He says if any one member suffers, How many members suffer with it? All of them do. Each and every one. Folks, if someone in this church is hurting, it impacts the entire body. When one member of this church is missing, it impacts the entire body. When this church is not doing what it's supposed to do in the grand scheme of things to fulfill the Great Commission... The other churches are hurting as well. 
When one church is without a pastor, we should be praying for them because they're hurting. They have no shepherd. But here in this congregation, what Paul is saying here, when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Let me ask you this question. I don't know how many of you do carpentry work. I don't know how many of you work around hammers and nails, but have you ever taken your finger and smashed it with a hammer, whether accidentally or on purpose? Is the hand the only part that feels that pain? (laughs) Absolutely not. Is the hand the only part that responds to that pain? Absolutely not. Your mouth responds to that pain as well, don't it? (laughs) If you've ever smashed your finger with a hammer, I mean hit it real good to where you got a blood blister going, you fractured something, you're bruised, you learn that you have the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues and you didn't know it. (laughs) You start saying things that you didn't know you you, you could say. Utterances in which you knew you did not have. (laughs) But the word here suffers is the Greek word pasco, and it's a medical term that means to undergo and experience. If you drop something on your toe, your whole body responds to it. You're hopping around, you're grabbing it, you're trying to get somewhere and get an ice pack. Your whole body has to work to help that one member that's been impacted by that injury. The body of Christ. When one member suffers, we all suffer. You're walking along at night. You got to get up and go to the restroom. You don't turn on any lights. You're shuffling along in your flip flops or your 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 little pink bunny slippers or whatever it is you wear around the house. And all of a sudden, your pinky toe catches the edge of the coffee table. Your whole body knows what just happened. You got one little member that suffered an injury. And now the rest of the body is responding to it in pain. You're limping because your whole leg is not working the way that it should. And the pain is so excruciating that your whole body is impacted by it. As we think about a healthy body, as we think about members suffering and members hurting, that's the picture that Paul wants us to get out of this. So the body of Christ, a body of believers... Paul goes on to say that it's not just a human body that I'm comparing it to. He said, I'm comparing it to Christ's body as well. Verse 27, he said, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So that means that the suffering that Jesus Christ went through, the pain and agony that he felt, on the day that he died, we should be feeling that pain as well. We should be able to relate to those nails when they were driven into his palm. The whole body suffered at that time. The whole body felt the pain. As the Roman soldier took that whip and scourged Jesus' body, Paul is saying, if you're the body of Christ, you know what that pain and that suffering feels like. You know how horrible it was. 
Turn back just a few pages to the book of Romans chapter 8. Probably one of the greatest chapters that Paul ever wrote, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. Paul says this, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. One body, many members, joined together. When one member suffers, we all suffer with it. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. His sufferings was our sufferings as well. But it was his body that endured the pain for our sins. And it was because of his death that we can be unified and joined together. And he knew he had to die and he knew he had to leave for the Holy Spirit to impart upon us those spiritual gifts. His suffering became our suffering as well. And now we have spiritual gifts. I'm not going to define each and every spiritual gift for you. We could spend hours talking about those. We could spend hours sorting them out. We could spend debates over, uh, hours debating over what does it actually mean to speak in tongues or to interpret tongues. Hopefully what I've done in the past few weeks is piqued your interest in trying to find your spiritual gift and define it. You can do your own research on the definition of each and every spiritual gift, where it's found out, where it's listed out. I've given you the passages to do the research yourself. But here's what I want you to know. We need you. God needs you. The church needs you. When you suffer, I suffer. When I hurt, you should hurt. When one member is struggling, we should be searching to see what's going on. For that member to struggle. When one member becomes detached from the body. Look if I were to sever my arm off. A thumb a finger or whatever. And just lay it on the floor. It's not going to survive very long. On it's own. It's going to weather up. It's going to quit moving. It has no blood flowing through it. It has no nerves to make it move. If we can get it reattached quickly, there is there are medical procedures in which they can reattach it and get it back to where it needs to be. But if it's left there long, long enough, it's going to die and it's going to quit functioning and it will no longer serve its purpose. 
That's the same way it is for church members who move away from the body and try to function on their own. They remain detached from the body and everything that they need to continue to survive and exist. The hurt that they're feeling, our body should feel it as well. The hurt that they're going through, the church should be feeling it as well. When one member suffers, we all suffer with it. The whole body is impacted when one member suffers. A stronger body, we're moving in that direction. Not necessarily in numbers can you measure church growth. But I think when you see a church being strengthened, you know it's growing. You know it's getting stronger. You know things are happening to where uh, it's progressing the way that it should. It's moving in the direction of fulfilling the Great Commission. But we can't get so focused on that to where when one member is suffering, we neglect to take care of that one member. But most of all, we as the body of Christ, we've got to understand that the suffering that he went through, we should feel it as well. As the body of Christ, those nails that were driven in his hand, we should be able to feel that pain. What was it like on that day to suffer for someone else's sin? What was it like on that day? Does that make us hurt? Does that hurt our heart? Does that make us want to be more like Jesus, understanding the pain and the suffering that we, he went through? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And it's by his stripes that we are healed. Has God begun the healing process in your life today? Can you sympathize with the pain that he went through? Do you understand fully the hurt that was in his body? And as Paul relays the analogy of the human body to the body of believers, can you feel the pain of other members when they go through it? Are you that closely attached to a body of believers? This illustration here, I hope it helps you to, to think about your spiritual gift and discovering it. I'm not really sure how to conclude today. I, I, I've kind of thought about this in several different ways. But we've got one more week that we'll look at uh, spiritual gifts. We'll look at the main motive. We'll look at the greatest quality that we should understand as far as spiritual gifts goes. But I think I've done the best that I could to explain the purpose of spiritual gifts. The goal of a stronger body. Working together, being unified, no division. Functioning as a whole body. I think the rest is up to you now. How closely am I connected to a body of believers somewhere you may not be a member of this church. I don't know. You may not be a member of a body anywhere. You may not even be a Christian yet. I don't know. 
I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know where you stand before the Lord. But here's the thing that I do know. You are created in God's image for his purpose, for a reason. And Jesus suffered and died for you. First of all, to be a member of God's family. Because if you're not a Christian, the Bible goes as far as to say that you are an enemy of God. If you have yet to enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that right now you are in total opposition to God. And the only way that that can be mended, the only way that that can be corrected is by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Where do you stand in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? If you were to die right now, if you were to stand before God and he were to ask you this question, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your response be? We'll all stand before the Lord one of these days. We'll give an account for the things that we did or did not do in our lives. But the number one thing he's going to look at is where you stood in your relationship with Jesus. Our sin separates us from God. The Bible says that we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that that sin comes with a penalty. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, separation from God for all eternity in a place called hell. That's the bad news. The bad news makes the good news so much better. The Bible also says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No other way to heaven, no other way to God but through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man comes to the Father but by me. So if you stood before God today and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? Would you be able to tell him that it was all because of Jesus? Or would you say, God, I've I've gone to church most of my life. Or would you say, God, I've been a, a good person. Good people go to hell. Hell is full of good people right now. Saved people go to heaven. My friend, are you saved? Have your sins been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you asked him to come into your life and pay for the penalty of your sin? That is the only reason that Jesus came into this world And bled and suffered and died and rose again after three days was to set you free and to pay for your penalty of sin. And now it's by faith that you can step out and accept him as Lord and Savior.
You simply say, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that my sin has separated me from you. I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a death that he should not have died, bore my sins on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood for my sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all of our sins. May God forgive me. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life and I want to follow him all of the days of my life. It begins with a step of faith. And then it's followed with a commitment each and every day following him. Not just a one-time event, but for the remainder of your life. If those are steps that you have not taken yet, and that's something that you want to begin today, as soon as the music begins, come see me. Don't, don't be afraid. The cameras are off. We're no longer live streaming. We don't do that during the invitation. This is a very private moment. We want you to be able to come up here in, in complete privacy. Nobody here is going to make fun of you. We're going to rejoice with you. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, and we will too. But if that's a decision that you need to make today, let me know about it. As soon as the music starts, come up here and just let me know. Brother Tracy, I, I'm lost. I, I know that if I die today, I'd go to hell. But I want to be saved. I want to know for sure that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I'll tell you how to make that happen. Perhaps maybe you're not a member of a local body of believers. And you've been praying about joining this body. We, we would love to talk to you about church membership as well. Is church membership required for salvation? Absolutely not. But the Bible says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We'd be too connected to a body of believers somewhere, whether it's here or somewhere else. Any of those things that you want to talk about, the invitation is for you. If there's anything that you want to pray about, the altars are open. You just come get along with the Lord. Be obedient is the main thing. Heavenly Father, we commit this invitation time to you. We just pray, Lord God, that you would guide us and strengthen us and prepare us for what lies ahead. And I pray, Lord God, that you would begin stirring hearts, changing lives, giving those boldness, Lord God, that need to make a decision. And you would just take control of this invitation time. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.